call your name. Yeah. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. 512 Friday edition of Ball Don't Lie. And my man Patrick plays jams and songs from local bands and artists. Very talented human beings like this person here. And you can hear live right here in the ATX. Who is this? Because I need, I need this. I need this is this. Joe James. Man, this is Very James. talented. He is playing Saturday at Central Machine Works. What's the name of this song right here? Uh, this is Do You Want Me. Do you want me, Joe James? Joe James. You can let's yeah, he's got a bunch of good soul and just All beautiful right. voice. Wifey seems like she'll like that one. The old Joe James. Good. Thank you, Patrick. You can hook me up right there. Um, yeah, that's pretty good stuff. And, and that's why I love 512 Friday because my man Patrick always broaden our horizons with some of these very talented people who actually perform here in the live music capital of the world. If you miss any of those suggestions for 512 Friday, please go to hornfm.com. I guess I could have went to hornfm.com and found out that this was Joe james uh do you want me um great song here all right uh we got a lot of conference championship preview to get to oh before i forget shout out to my man Harge. it's his birthday today um he's actually um off a little bit early heading down h-town he's got some stuff to do but happy birthday to my man Harge, man uh always uh always uh showing love and he gets a lot of love for that too he does a great job for us uh, and we appreciate him okay uh, you can cyberstalk him as well uh, at Hardball Hard. Any Twitter verse. Want to wish him happy birthday? You can do it there. My man Patrick, the real MVP, is at It's Patrick Davis, and I'm at Rod Babers in the Twitter verse. Okay, so let me just, you know, you know, well, let me just dismiss all the uh, the mystery and just uh, there's not there's not going to be uh, any build up to my pick of who's going to win the NFC or the AFC title game. I'm just going to tell you right now, and, and I'll tell you why exactly I'm choosing. I'm taking the 49ers to win the NFC title game, and there's one, and, and it, it's, it was really close, really close. Like, I was re- I was the Eagles all week long, pretty much. I was on the bandwagon all week long. And the one reason is why, because I'm rooting for the 49ers, because I'm rooting for my boy Shano, of course. He's one of my best friends in the world. And I don't want to watch the game and be, you know, rooting for someone, but then also thinking about my pick. So I'm going to pick the 49ers. But here's the reason why. And I don't know this for a fact. But I do know my boy Shannon really well, so I don't know this for a fact. But I believe that it could be true, and maybe it'll come out later on. I think he's been preparing for the Eagles for a while. I think he's been preparing for a while. And here's why, Patrick, because he he let this little nugget out earlier this week. Um, he, he basically uh, said that he's glad they got a road test in for Brock Purdy. A, a, a good road test in for Brock Purdy before this playoff run against the Eagles. And, he, and listen to the statement. Here it is. Quote, we'll do the same thing we did that week. That was, a, that was a huge week just because that was our first game really all year that it was that important and Brock hadn't had experience with it. And so it was great to have that, especially with us going to Philly. I remember I was talking about that week and that that week we needed that. We needed that rep in case we ended up in the NFC Championship game at Philly. And we got that and very fortunate that we did. And I feel we're good to go. He knows what to expect. He knows how to do it. He knows how we do it. We'll give him reps at it all week. But he got it ready on just a Wednesday when he played Thursday. So I feel like it won't be an issue this week. So he's basically talking about having a road test in. And he was talking about the Seattle game that the 49ers got in when Brock Purdy became the starter and then they went to Seattle. And he wanted him to have that road test in to simulate the noise in Philly and to just get the routine down. 
And that was, uh, you know, that that Philadelphia trip for them, that was like week, oh, man. I want to say that was their their first meeting was week two against Seattle. And that was like in the last month of the season, I believe, the last six weeks. I mean, Brock Purdy obviously has only had eight starts. So in the last month of the season, He's already thinking about playing the Philadelphia Eagles. He admits in that statement, oh, yeah, I was thinking about what if we have to play the Eagles on the road in the playoffs. I want Brock Purdy to have the experience of going on the road and playing against a playoff team in their home stadium. And we know that NFL coaches, when they have game plans already in from a divisional opponent because they play them twice a year, when they have the division, when they have the game plan already in, they just tweak the game plan. They don't spend the entire week coming up with a brand new game plan when you already had one from week six or seven when you played that divisional opponent and you have to play them again in week thirteen or fourteen. All right? They just they just add on to the already the game plan they already have, the information they already have. And I believe since Shano and the 49ers, they play Seattle twice. And they remember that last game was against Arizona a downtrodden, broken Arizona team. But they had already played Arizona in week 10, I believe. So he had a game plan for Arizona too. And I'm not saying you spend no time on those weekly opponents, but I bet he split time. If I know Shano, he split time. And he was he missing the statement. He was already thinking about Philadelphia when he played Seattle the second time. Not the third, the second. And think about it, if he had played, if he already played Seattle twice, there's even more evidence, I guess, or maybe there's more weight to my theory that he may have split time in both of those those meetings, those second, the second and third meetings, I should say, with Seattle and spent a little extra time working on Philadelphia because he's already talking about meeting Philadelphia in the playoffs on the road. And he had to play Arizona again. Arizona was a shell of themselves as a team. And I bet that week also he split time, spending extra time working on Philadelphia. Does that mean they're going to beat Philadelphia? No. But I do think he's, he's, he's put more than just this week week's focus on Philly. He's probably put in maybe 10, 12 days of work total on Philly, maybe in the last month, I bet. I bet it's, it's falling somewhere like that. So that's my grassy no conspiracy theory. I think Shannon's been putting aside extra time, extra film study, extra sessions to prepare for Philly. Maybe they're doing the same thing with him because they know, you know what, we're on a crash course with San Fran. We need to put aside some time like Texas and TCU. Remember that, it, how, how well game-planned the Texas defense was because of Gary Patterson for the TCU uh, offense and vice versa, and they battled it out through that game through three quarters. It's because they basically were game-planning for one another all year long because Gary Patterson was really motivated to beat his old team, TCU. And TCU knew that, oh, man, Gary Patterson there, he probably has a better scouting report uh, for us um, than any other team in the Big 12 or even in the country because of the familiarity with the roster and the coaching staff. So he spent a little extra time. We know now that he spent more extra time preparing for one another. I bet that was the case, probably for both teams. But I'm going to trust Shano's extra time of preparation over the Eagles' extra time of preparation. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles, that one makes plenty of sense of, hey, man, we're playing the Giants, who we think we can beat pretty handily. So we're going to put effort into it, but we feel we're okay in this game. They're divisional rival, too, so we've played them twice this year. So we know a lot of the game playing against the Giants. We need to do more, but... 
We know that one. Mm-hmm. And then we're, exactly. if we lose, and then if if Dallas wins, we've played Dallas twice this year. So we're kind of set. Of, it's divisional and divisional. We have a lot of stuff already on these two guys. So in our bye week, let's look at what the other guy might be. Mm-hmm. And we figure it's going to be San Francisco, so let's go put some work into San Francisco. I think, so, yeah, so both sides, and like I said, you could side with Philly and go, well, Philly's got extra preparation as well. I'm going to side with my man Shano because I think that he's a better X's and O's uh, game planner and designer. But we're talking about a margin of a minuscule margin, inches here. That's, it is yeah. a game of inches. Um, so that's one reason that I feel good about Shannon because I know he's going to be really well prepared. And there are just not a lot of flaws with this Eagles team. And there'll be really small, little, tiny you know, details that you're going to have to pick at potentially and, and, and really pull at one or two potential flaws of this Eagles defense. And hopefully the whole damn thing unravels. So let's start with the 49ers defense um, going up against the Eagles offense because I think I think if that matchup um, doesn't favor uh, the 49ers um, at least half the time um, it's, it's it could end up being a commanding win for the Eagles and only because of Jalen Hurts now the last time Jalen Hurts played San Fran was in 2021 week two it was like his sixth start of his career it was like the second game head coaching for um, for Nick Sirianni. So really young um, blueprint, uh, just the genesis, the origin of the story that we're watching right now. He had 10 rushes for 82 yards and one touchdown rushing on the ground. Now, the 49ers are great versus designed quarterback runs and quarterback option runs. They're the best defense in the NFL, yards per rush allowed versus quarterback designed runs or option runs, 2.6 yards per rush allowed. Where they struggle, Patrick, is quarterback scrambles when the play breaks down, that's my concern. When the play breaks down and the opposing quarterback has to improvise, that's when the 49ers are, are vulnerable. We know this because they've only faced two dual-threat quarterbacks all year long. They lost to both of them. Justin Fields, Marcus Mariota. They ain't lost a lot of games, yeah. and those aren't great teams. But they have two things in common. Quarterbacks that can improvise and they can run when the play breaks down. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be... <laughs> That that is the X factor in football right now in the NFL is if you can get a guy who can sit in a pocket well enough and then run. Uh, that's now the X factor because it was Lamar Jackson and just running and a little bit of passing. It was now it's like, hey, no, 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 we're going to be a passing offense, but also this guy can go run on you for a hundred yards, and that's what we've seen with Josh Allen and with Daniel Jones and those guys. But we like San Francisco can handle this team. I think it's more – I think there's just a big part of it going into can you not let them get ahead of you early? As long as you're able to stay in this game, which is red zone defense, which is, hey, man, if you can keep Jalen Hurts from getting into the end zone and breaking off and breaking that big run, if you can keep them from going over the top of you and getting big plays from 60 yards out and you can get them to kick field goals, your style of offense works really well of – Hey, man, Saquon Barkley only ran the ball nine times because they were constantly behind, and they were behind so early, but he averaged 6.8 yards a carry. Like, he could still – this you can still run against this Philly defense. I know they're getting better at it, and they've done better. Yeah. You can still run against them. Oh, you can. So you're going to have to be able to put Christian McCaffrey out there and run the ball, and if you get down because you're letting them – because you're worried too much about Jalen Hurts scrambling 
and you let them go over the top of you, then you're in trouble. That's when the problem is because now it's 14-0, and now all of a sudden, all right, well, now all our little trick plays and everything we do for eight yards, we can't do anymore. We have to start now trying to take shots ourselves, and now that makes us not what we do. That's not – It's too much pressure on Purdy. Yes. It's too, too much, much pressure, pressure on, Purdy, on Purdy, and it puts – you know, and then now you're looking more at Ayuk. You're looking more, you know. Yeah, you become a team that has to be one-dimensional, and that's not the 49ers. Yeah. they got to pass the ball. That's not the 49ers. No, and you want to be able to go to your checkdowns of mm-hmm. Debo Samuel and George Kittle and have guys like that that you're throwing to, and Christian McCaffrey, that you can constantly pick up six to eight yards and just basically beat down the other team. Because, as you said before, San Francisco is a physical football team. They wear you down. So you have to be able to do that, and if you get down early because you're so over-worried about Jalen Hurts, getting first downs by with his feet that you overcommit up front and now they're able to go over the top of you and they're able to get huge chunk plays and get in the end zone from 40-yard line and not make them play red zone where you do shrink the defense a little bit and give your your cornerbacks a little bit more help. That's what my worry would be for this San Francisco defense of, you know, we know that Jalen Hurts is going to get his, so you want to limit it. But you also don't want to overcommit to it and get beat the backwind. The uh, Philly offense, to your point about not getting behind, they lead the NFL in points per drive, touchdown rate per drive, and scoring rate per drive in the first half of games. So if you can make it a fourth quarter game with Philly, that's your first test. It's not it's to survive the first half. The 49ers will be good at that because the 49ers are the best first-half defense in the league. So they should be able to turn this into a four-quarter game and then find a way to win the game in the fourth quarter in clutch time. It's what the 49ers have been doing all year long. Something else to keep in mind, I brought this up earlier about Jalen Hurts just getting back to him being such a dangerous weapon with his legs and as a scrambler. He's, he, he's great once he commits. <clears throat> he's decisive, by the way. Once he commits to scrambling, he's phenomenal because he's an extraordinary runner. Um, but he's also been really good from the pocket this year. Where he's not great is that purgatory in between. If you look at Jalen Hurts outside the pocket, he's completing 37% of his passes outside the pocket, 4.2 yards per attempt outside the pocket, and a 52 passer rating when he's outside the pocket. So what you want ultimately is to collapse the pocket. You want to collapse the pocket and flush him out of the pocket, but you don't want him scrambling. So you've got to keep a spy on him, all right, as long as you can. And you got two of the best in the NFL. you got uh, Fred Warner and you'll have Dre Greenlaw. I can't imagine a team with more athletic spies at the linebacker position. So you can spy him with one or two of those guys, but you got to figure out, are you going to try to force him inside are you going to force him uh, to step up in the pocket and have your defensive end set an edge and force him up in the pocket towards your spy or do you want to collapse the pocket even have your defensive ends crashing down and then force him to flush the pocket to the perimeter and you got linebackers who are fast enough to run sideline to sideline they can close that gap and they can still flush him but not allow him to scramble and I think that sweet spot for the 49ers, they can do it, but that is going to be key because the more he scrambles, uh, the, ba- the worse it is for the 49ers because he, that means that when the play breaks down, uh, ultimately the 49ers have decided not to put a spy on him. And if they do put a spy on him, he's ineffective. That spy should keep him from wanting to scramble downfield, should keep him 
with his eyes downfield, flush from the pocket, maybe drifting from the pocket, but he shouldn't want to scramble. But when you put a spy on him, the key is, as my man Patrick brought up, you're going to allocate resources. you got to pick your poison. You're going to put a spy on him, then you're going to take one defender away from the pass defense and away from coverage. And that means Devontae Smith or A.J. Brown um, or – Dallas Goddard is going to be open. Yeah. Oh, not open. One on one coverage, which basically yes. means they open. Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, in today's it's hey man, even if one on one is open, and you're throwing on your back foot and the ball's short and a defender runs into him, yeah. spot of the foul. Yeah, exactly. It, and and, and yeah. so you didn't have to do anything. All you did was put in one on one coverage, and all and if he puts the ball close enough, that you can go and get that pass interference. And, and I'll put another thing down for what San Francisco will if he can help him out. Uh, Really possessing time of possession in that first half. Really extending drives, especially in that away. second quarter yeah. where we know Philadelphia loves to just go on runs. And if you just take 12 minutes of the second quarter on a drive, and even if you get a field goal out of it, mm-hmm. you stop Philadelphia from having that run that they've been having all season long and make it a second half game where they have been a little bit slower in the second half. Yep. So I think mm-hmm. it's just – when you have that running game and that short yardage game that San Francisco does, I know it's nice to go take that shot at the top, and you may want to do it later in the game, but in that second quarter, in the first quarter, just, just man, grind the game to a halt as much as you possibly can. I mean, you got to stay on the field so you can't play too conservative because yeah. that's how you get in trouble because you run the ball three times and then you punt. But just, hey, man, let's get Debo Samuel's seven-yard pass. And so not anything where we're trying to go, but just a nice slant. Just a sl- just something that's probably going to be open. High percentage. High percentage. Mm-hmm. And we can go for this kind of play instead of trying to get something that may even break. We're not even worried about breaking it. Yep. We just want to pick up first downs, keep the clock rolling, and get us to where we're in a second half in a football game, and we know we can win the second half. Playing keep away is not a bad strategy. <clears throat> no. It's not a bad strategy at all because then you keep your defense fresh, and that's going to be key for the pass rush for the 49ers. I'll, I, I, I'll give you a little stat. Well, I don't know if it's stats. more like just little factoids and nuggets. The, the Eagles have the best O-line in the league, like based off grades, based off – even they've only allowed um, – I mean, I think they've only allowed like 11 sacks as a team. Like they, this is a legit group. Um, and they only have one – and it's crazy. He's not the weak link, but he's the weakest link on their offensive line. But it's crazy to say that because he's only a weak link because he hasn't been playing football for like five – only for five years. Their left tackle, Jordan uh, Melata, man, and I, like I said, I, I hate to use the term weak link because he's not really a weak link. This is a guy that was on a demolition crew and a rugby a rugby player five years ago. You know, and now he's now he's playing football. He had never played football uh, prior to trying out for the NFL. He was from Australia, and he's the guy that's going to be going up against Nick Bosa. They signed up to an extension. Uh, I think this past offseason for four years, $64 million. He came to America to because basically rugby didn't think well, a guy who was 6'8", 365 could handle the pace of rugby playing for, what is it, is it rugby 80 minutes, however long a rugby game is? Yeah. They basically was like, dude, you're too big. You can't handle the pace of it. But he was so athletic that he was running out there with rugby players at 6'8", 365. <laughs> and some dude was like, okay, you know what? Your size is a liability in rugby, but you know what your size is an asset? The NFL. Yeah. They love big dudes like you. You know what? You barely got to move. 
You'll you'll basically move within five to eight yards all game long and just and just like sixty reps of that. He's like, I could do that. So he tried out for the NFL and basically through their international players uh, <clears throat> pathway program, he was drafted in the seventh round by Philadelphia. They traded up for him. In the seventh round. You, nobody ever trades up in the seventh round for someone. No. Philadelphia did. They're like, no, we like this guy. This guy's we legit. We know. He can be legit. And he had he had injuries his first two seasons. So his season ended with injuries his first two years. So this is actually the first year where he was healthy the entire year. And last year, I think he was healthy most of the season. Then he started uh, basically competing for starting reps last year. And this year, he's completely just locked down that left tackle spot. It's his. And he's got 29 blown blocks, um, 39 pressures allowed, and six sacks allowed, which is the worst on that O-line because the rest of the O-line is allowed five sacks total. He's allowed six on his own. But he's also going usually up against the best pass rushers all right, in, in the league, and he's going to do that again going up against Nick Bosa, and he's watching Jalen Hurts' blindside. That is the player the 49ers are going after. They're going after this dude. And that guy's going to be an all-pro in like three years, but he ain't right now. No, and right he, now he's just a phenom, a prodigy. I, I love the – like Nick Bosa, the thing <laughs> I love is that he trains – like everything he does is so regimented. Everything he does is all about football. And they talk about how he starts – he lines up with his arm back like a runner mm-hmm. now. And the whole thing was he talked to a guy who went, I don't know, if you look at your numbers, you're technically point four seconds or point one second faster mm-hmm. if you start like this. So if it's all we're talking fraction of seconds to try and get to the quarterback. So he lines up that way now to get that point one point two percent oh yeah increase uh, on the quarterback and they did they put together a stat of his adjusted sack rate for his first years in the league before he started doing that. And they were like he should have like six more stack sacks. Yeah. Because he was that close so many times. Yep. And with this little difference. That little that little uh, I don't know, sent that I don't know, that little fraction of, of, fraction a, second. of a second. Yeah. He didn't And they there. were like, if you take that fraction of a second, he gets this many more That's sacks. Crazy. So it's just a guy who's been and if you look at him, D line were not supposed to be built like how he's built. Yeah, he's built like a superhero. It, it's he's he's a beast. So yeah, if I was five years in the league, it's not the guy I'd want to see lined up against me. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, that's what I'm saying. this guy, five years league, he's only playing five years for like that. six yeah. years. But he's a phenom, though. Yeah. He's great. But like I said, I, I, I know uh, D'Amico Ryans and Shano and Nick Bosa are licking their chops because if they can exploit that guy, you can, you can blow up the whole damn game plan for Philadelphia. Yeah. Whole damn game plan could just blow up in their face. Um, all right, we'll come back. We'll talk more about that. Every year we get close to the Final Four, we're in the Final Four of the NFL, getting close to the Super Bowl, I like to find a concept that is popular um, uh, among one of the teams that also is a concept that Texas used very effectively during their football season. Just going to show you in football theory that it's all connected, all right? All these concepts, all these schemes, they're somehow connected, you know, just through six degrees of separation, if you will. Well, I'll talk about the 49ers secret weapon. Also, should have been the Longhorn's secret weapon. We'll talk about that when we come back right here on Ball Don't Lie on 1049 The Horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, no, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All 
All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Uh, I want to get into a little football theory here. Um, I always try, you know, to take popular concepts, concepts that have led to teams separating themselves from the rest of the league <clears throat> with their creativity, with the, their different utilization that they uh, deploy these concepts uh, with and how they deploy these concepts. And last year, uh, I remember talking about empty formation. You guys probably remember me talking about empty formation. You're probably tired of me talking about it. But um, me talking about it all last year, uh, it ended up, um, ironically, ended up becoming one of the featured themes of the Super Bowl because in the Super Bowl, the Bengals uh, ended up uh, facing off against the Rams, and the Rams and the Bengals led the NFL last year in empty formation. They were number one and number two. It was arguably their two favorite concepts as a team um, last football season, and it led to them you know, having a distinct conceptual advantage against the rest of the league. Um, Got to have great quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford to pull it off. Um, but they use empty formation. And remember, the reason I was obsessed with empty formation um, here at Texas is because I had been tracking it with Tom Herman for, I don't know, three years before that Super Bowl, saying it was the, conceptually, it was the, uh, to me, the formation that put more pressure on a defense than, than any other formation in football today. No football formation or personnel package or even concept in my opinion put more pressure on a defense than empty formation that was always my take and the numbers you know they the numbers obviously uh, uh bear that out because you go look at texas i remember the last two years prior to sark coming in which was 2021 so take 19 and 20 uh, Texas averaged nine yards per play in empty formation, 10 yards per attempt in empty formation, and a 23% explosive play rate out of empty formation. It, it, was, it, was, it was arguably the most effective concept for Tom Herman, and he didn't use it enough, but I digress. I'm not getting on Tom Herman. Let's get to, to Sark because Sark, when Sark came, uh, one of the other concepts that I kept pounding the table for was more two-back sets. You guys probably remember it. Probably got tired of me talking about, hey, more two-back sets, more two-tailback two sets. Talked about it a ton when Tom Herman was here, and Tom Herman didn't use it enough. He used it sparingly a couple of times to break tendency, but I'll give Sark credit. Sark used it a lot more in 2021 when he came on. He used more two-tailback sets, and only made sense your most talented position and your best position overall on your deepest position at the time was running back your best leader in rojo and your best player in Bijan were at running back why not play those guys on the field at the same time and he started to a little bit last year you had two tailback sets 20 and 21 personnel two backs one tight end two back zero tight ends around six percent of the time in 2021 and in 2022 I was putting a lot of pressure on Sark. Every time I talked to Sark or Bijan or Rojo, I'd ask him, hey, are we going to see more two tailback sets? Are we going to see Rojo and Bijan in the backfield at the same time? Bijan did give me a hint that, you know what, it is going to happen. And, you know, last year, the reason that they should have been playing more two tailback sets because last year they were, it was so successful for them. It was such a successful, effective personnel package. Their highest yards uh, per attempt in the passing game, their highest completion percentage in the passing game, all came out of two tailback sets. So fast forward to 2022, and what was Texas' most effective personnel package? Well, Black Shradamus tried to tell you. It was two tailback sets, specifically 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end. Texas averaged 
nearly six yards per rush, and 5.7. That's not great. That's okay. They could have been better. So they, it was really what they did throwing the football out of 21%. Remember what I told you? Sark's, uh, his motto was going to be for 2022, present power personnel packages and pivot to pass principles. So out of 21 personnel, uh, Texas offense this year completed over 75% of their passes, 11 and a half yards per attempt, 8.2 yards per play out of 21 personnel. With a 23, over a 23% explosive play rate, that is a pass of at least 15 yards and a run of at least 10 yards. It was easily, easily, like, like far and away, your most effective personnel package. And I would even throw out there, even though Sark used it a, a little over 11% of the time. So he, he used it more than he did in 2021. He didn't use it enough. You should, considering how effective it was, man, you should have been, that should have been 25% of your offense. I know it sounds crazy, but there's an argument to be made that if Sark ran more 21 personnel last year, she win a couple of more games. The reason that that is significant and relevant to the Final Four is because the 49ers, their bread and butter, their lineup of death, if you will, is their 21 personnel package. Remember, against the, uh, the first round of the playoffs, against the Seattle Seahawks, they ran 17 plays, I believe it was, out of 21 personnel and averaged over 15 yards per play. <laughs> their 21 personnel is lethal. Christian McCaffrey, along with Kyle Juszczyk in the backfield, she got the most versatile tailback and the most versatile and the best fullback in the game in the backfield. Debo Samuel, most versatile wide receiver in the game. Um, and then you got Kittle, one of the better tight ends in the game. And then you got Ayuk is the other wide receiver. That is their 21 personnel skill, guys. And they are, because they are so versatile and there's so much multiplicity in their skill set, it is lethal. Because you move around all those different chess pieces around the board in your positionless football philosophy. But I digress. Getting back to 21 personnel. So since 2017, since Shano went to the 49ers, they got 70 touchdowns in 21 personnel. The second most uh, by any other team since 2017 uh, in 21 personnel is the New England Patriots with 32 touchdowns. (laughs) So they've more than doubled up. The second, the team with the second most touchdowns out of 21 personnel since 2017. And I started looking deep into it to see, all right, how, how has, you know, Brock uh, Purdy performed when he's in 21 personnel? With 21 personnel, Brock Purdy, his, his uh, completion percentage goes up a little bit. He's at 70, almost 71% completion percentage. He's eight touchdowns, only one interception, and he's got a 111.1 passer rating when he's in 21 personnel that is higher than his 107 passer rating and his 70 percent completion percentage is higher than his 67 percent completion percentage for the season all his stats go up when he's going to be his 21 personnel i and, and strangely enough philadelphia has not faced a lot of 21 personnel this year they've only faced 25 pass attempts from 21 personnel they're gonna see they, they may see that in the game versus 49ers in the conference title game alone. They may get 25 pass attempts out of 21 personnel, depending on how much they go with this personnel package. But the 49ers on the season, 21 personnel pass attempts, um, 68% completion percentage, uh, one, and no matter who the quarterback is, 103.7 passer rating. So my point is that 
all it's all connected. All these really great offensive minds, and Sark is a really good offensive mind. They should be watching all of the top offenses in football at the highest levels, and that includes high school, by the way. And they should be stealing plays and stealing concepts. Period. All right. STP. Steal that play. All right. Steal it. It looks pretty good. You know what? I bet my guys can run it. I'm stealing that play. So as you watch football, all these coaches are just stealing plays. R&D, baby. Rip off and duplicate. And every coach now needs to have an R&D department. If he can't watch all the games because he's got all this stuff going on, you just have three or four guys and their only jobs is to watch the best offenses at the college level, the pro level, and the high school level and just steal plays and concepts. And that's why you see, uh, when you see a popular concept in a play, it ain't just a copycat league. It's a copycat game. Everybody's taking that and running with it, and they're going to run it. And it doesn't matter where you saw it first, but everybody's going to steal and borrow those concepts. And that's why I can talk about, oh, man, Texas is really good at empty personnel for two years. And then at the NFL level, uh, you see it in the Super Bowl where the two teams who are competing in the Super Bowl, they run that concept, empty formation, more than any teams in the NFL because, to me, it's all connected. The reason it's all connected is because they're all watching each other. If you know who to watch. They're watching Channel. Everybody's watching Channel. They think he's an offensive genius. Sark's already admitted, oh, I love that Shanahan coaching tree. I watch those guys all the time, as much as I can. He followed Shanahan in Atlanta, so of course he's been a big fan and even schematically has used those concepts to transition his own offense. So that's why I, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. Like I said, every year I bet I can do this year in and year out. And we should be able to do it. If, if I can't do it, that means the offensive mind, offensive coordinator, play designer, play caller at Texas ain't doing his damn job. <laughs> I should be able to do this every year and go, you know what? The Texas is running some of the same concepts that those guys at the NFL level at the highest levels are running. Damn right. They should be. And honestly, Sark should have ran more of it. That's my only complaint. You probably should have ran more of it. Because Shannon's going to run a ton of it this weekend. Nobody runs more 21 than he does. And the question is, I guess for Sark this year is, will he, now without a Bijan, without a Rojo, will he still use some of those two tailback concepts that have actually been arguably his most successful and effective offensive concept since he's been here? All right, we come back. We'll get into off the record on the other side right here on Baldwin Live. 1499 Back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. 512 Friday edition of Ball Don't Lie. We play jams from local bands and artists that you can hear live right here in the ATX. Who are we jamming right now, Patrick? This is Erica Michelle. She is playing Saturday at the Pershing. Oh, man. Yeah, the voice, very distinct. Very yeah. unique. I like that. Um, all right. Uh, 512 Friday. you miss any, any of those suggestions, go to hornfm.com. My man Patrick's got them posted there for you. I remember we uh, just... Talked about Dak Prescott earlier this week because uh, it was reported that he and his longtime girlfriend broke up. Girlfriend of like almost two years uh, that he and his uh, lady called it quits. And it was reported that happened as early as March of 2022. We just didn't know about it. Yeah. Which means most of the offseason and the season, Dak was a single man. He was single Dak. And independent Dak. And I always said certain players, certain athletes, depending on what 
you know, what uh, lifestyle you crave and thrive in. Some guys are better athletes, like better pro athletes on the field when they're in relationships. And some guys are better pro athletes when they are just living the single life and having a good time. And, hell, some people like Tiger. You need, you need a relationship and also need to be living the single life, be the philandering relationship, whatever it is, right? Every, everybody's different. And I'm sure ladies are the same way, too. I think players ultimately, for the most part, are better in relationships than they are in not in relationships. So relationship Romo was better than independent Romo, in my opinion. And I think relationship Dak was probably better than independent Dak. But I don't know. I got to go, go check the records on that. Uh, well, Dak apparently is no longer going to be independent Dak. He already met a woman. And they're already dating. Casually, it says. New York Post, Cowboys quarterback, casually dating LSU swimmer Jaden Jonas. Jonas? Uh, I'm sure I messed it up. Jonash? I'm sure I messed it up. I screwed it up. I didn't mean to. Page Six uh, reported this Thursday. Um, this is a day after they all reported the breakup with ex-girlfriend Natalie uh, Buffet in March. While it's unclear exactly when the two got together, they were active over the holidays, it says. Man, Dak didn't waste any time. Good for him. Um, uh, uh, Jeff, um, basically her father is how they met. Apparently he runs a mortgage company in Texas that partnered with the Cowboys. And then apparently they end up meeting through that connection there. So there you go. Dak's already off the, he's off the free agent market. Done. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to get a, you know, he's got to get ready for next season. (laughs) And, uh, apparently relationship Dak, uh, turns the ball over less. I think he does. Yes, there you go. Independent Dak, he takes a lot of chances. And maybe, you know, maybe he had his. He was evaluating the season, and they were like, "Dude, you got to get in a relationship. <laughs> lock it down." Because independent Dak, you know, he seems to be. I don't know, a little bit more responsible. Is that why he's checking uh, out all the plays? Irresponsible, I should say. With the is, football, is that why he's checking out a place? Because he's independent Dak. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess I don't know where he is now. I don't know his status. Like, how serious is his relationship? Are we serious enough to now he's going to say he's in a relationship officially or are they just casually dating or something like that? And maybe Dak wants to date, you know, maybe wants to date for a while. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's in the off season now, so he's in the part where you can get a little bit more serious now. You were at a, you were at a tough stretch there down the, at, down mm. the stretch of the season. You play, you play playoffs. You, you don't have a lot of free time, yeah. especially if they don't both live in the same area. It's hard to be making it all work. This but is now true. you get that long break where now you can be like, oh, now we get to spend some time and see see if we really like each other <laughs> or if we just like the concept of each other. Uh, yeah, you know what? That's true because some ladies, um, they want to be what you do in football season because they want that those perks. Yeah. Get to go to the games, kick it, go to the parties and hang out. Yeah. During the off season, ain't no perks. I'm working hard, man. I'm grinding. All right, I'm working yep. out. I'm going to lift. I'm going to throw. Yeah, we can go to dinner, but you don't get the um, you don't get the limelight as much in the off season. So maybe that's when you find out that she's a keeper in the yeah. off season. You know well, that's the one. If you mm-hmm. if you see him a bunch of Mavs games all of a sudden in a suite, and you see him out in public in a suite and doing all those, then you're like, all right, well, she just this she's trying to use him. <laughs> to get all that life. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of Dak jokes on the spec sex line that just aren't <laughs> cool. Not fair at all to my man Dak. But uh, hey, I'm happy for Dak that he's got another woman. I think Dak needs to be in a relationship. I think he's better player. In, do we know his rookie year if he was in a relationship or not? I do not. You we know, gotta go check Ryan, that out. I am the wrong guy to ask. That is true. You are the wrong guy. I got to do some research. I'm gonna find out if he was <laughs> dating someone seriously his rookie year because that was like one of his best years too, and that may you know. 
that may dispel my theory about He had a college sweetheart he was with still? Could be. There you go. That's what I'm saying. It's just any type of stability. Because like I said, most most men that I know in the league when I played, they were either working out, practicing, playing ball, or chasing tail when they were single. And then when you're not single, a lot of them still chase tail anyway, even a relationship, unfortunately. But not as much. You yeah. focus. You're like, you know what? I got to taken care of. I got I got uh, you know, I got an in house uh, love interest. Yeah, I, well, I'm especially if you got like a contract like Dak has, then all of those littler things of like it's not like there's dishes in the sink when you get home. Oh, if you're yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah. No, you no, no, you don't worry about that. No, when you got when you're no. making forty mil a year. Yeah, and you got a chef. You got a yeah, that's chef. what I'm saying. You don't have to worry about that. If you're if you're a on a rookie contract, seventh round pick, you're like, I'm not gonna save my money. Like I ain't I got all these privileges. Yeah. Dak's on that second contract. He's he's got some nicer it's yeah. not like she's going to be like, did you pick up the milk? He's like, beep, beep, you done. You're saying Brock Purdy still come home and he's cooking? Like he's cooking himself? Oh, like, yeah. I'm going to cook some. Yeah, tonight. Brock Purdy's still Save cooking. Save some bread. <laughs> 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 yeah, Dak's got a chef. He's got. He's definitely got people that clean the house. So yeah, this woman, even if that's one to be, if she wanted that to be her role, a more traditional role where she's just taking care of the home, um, she wouldn't have much to take care of. I mean, yeah. he's taking care of. You know what I mean? So, interesting. My man Dak back in the uh, the dating pool. Hopefully that means he's going to throw less interceptions. And finally, uh, we can see Dak get past the divisional round. That's what the Cowboys fans are hoping anyway. Uh, there is no news on Kellen Moore since so we're talking Cowboys. I have not seen anything about Kellen Moore. Patrick, anything? No, I have been refreshing all day. Okay. Seen nothing. What is, is that? Is that To me, that's good news for Kellen Moore. Or are they waiting on news dump weekend? I'm, well, it's we, well, Jerry, so it's Jerry Jones. So the question is, does Jerry do it right before the play, right before the game start? Because uh, he wants the Cowboys to become a topic of conversation. Yes. Since, okay. Does he do it like Sunday morning, Saturday night to make it the story yeah. when all the pregame shows and everyone are talking? I can see him. See, he, he loves to steal people's thunder. Yeah, and if so, if he yeah. does it today, then it goes. It's all run through tomorrow. But there's no big shows tomorrow because both the games are on Sunday. Yeah. So he might wait till Saturday night, Sunday morning to do it. But the Dallas media wouldn't allow that to happen. They would leak it out beforehand. Oh, they're going to try to. Hill and uh, there's too many good. Yeah, I guarantee there's somebody there. out there, and everybody's looking for this story. Oh no, no, they're all outside the uh, Cowboys training facility. Yes, watching for Kellen's exactly. car. Exactly. I mean, this is the hottest story in Dallas right now. I don't know if they can keep it under wraps till then. Uh, it's gonna be. It's gonna be hard. It's like, you know, I always said that we know that we know that Tim Tebow was telling the truth about being a virgin because TMZ never found that girl. Yeah. <laughs> Right, TMZ would have found that woman. They would have yeah. found that girl. Was like, yeah, we were seventeen, and you know, he didn't know what he was doing. Neither did I. They never found her. Nope. Tim Tebow was no. telling the truth. He was a virgin until he got married and did the deed. So, hey, they looking for that story. And TMZ probably looking for that Kellen Moore story too. Everybody wants that story right no, now. Everybody wants it. Well. Cowboys fans, especially most most Cowboys fans, especially. <laughs> yeah, you control Cowboys fans right now. Uh, yeah, you can you can do that. All right, we we'll come back. We got one more hour left. Conference championship preview. We'll jump to the AFC side of things, and we'll also preview Texas men's basketball taking on Tennessee this weekend. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on One Four Nine The Horn.